Hello and welcome to the podcast of Britain Christian Church. We exist to be a lighthouse of hope to our community in OKC. Now, here's Pastor Mike. If you would take out your worship bulletin, on the back you will see all the scripture that we're going to take a look at today. We're going to take a little break from 1 Corinthians so that we can talk about when the well runs dry. I get to spend time every week uh, with people that are struggling with all kinds of things in life. And the trials that we go through, they come in all kinds of packages. But they share a common theme. They wear us down, they keep us up at night, and they can absolutely wear us out. Jesus told the woman at the well that he was the living water. He said, whoever drinks the water that I give him, he will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of of living water, welling up to eternal life. I know those words are true. I know that Jesus gives us life, abundant life, that nothing in this world can replicate, absolutely nothing. And at the same time, I know that there are times and there are seasons that we go through in life, dry desert times, gut-wrenching times, times it seems like they're never going to end. When our souls become so dry and parched, we become so weary that we know that the well has run dry. We are just empty. More than 20 years ago, there was a young guy that was getting ready to start college. He was so excited. Uh, He came to know Christ in high school, and he wanted to go to a Christian college and get a really good Christian education. So he chose to go to Chicago, Illinois, to Wheaton College. He was deeply in love with God, and he wanted his life to matter for the kingdom of God. He became well-versed in God's Word. He was excited about sharing all that he had learned about what God was doing in his life and in the lives of other people. He was so gripped by God that he decided he wanted to go to seminary and spend the rest of his life in full-time ministry. So he enrolled in a seminary back in his home state. He went to Phillips Theological Seminary in Enid, Oklahoma. And while he was there, he realized Phillips was considered more of a liberal seminary. But he met a young guy there that was on fire for the Lord just like him. And they began teaching Bible studies for undergraduate students. They would go to the little towns around Eden and have revivals on the weekend. They were so on fire for the Lord that their classmates, who were going to seminary with them, began to call those two guys the God Squad. Well, he finished three years of seminary and was preparing for his last year when trouble came knocking. He saw challenges unfolding in his life with relationships and family, and it eventually took his toll on him. The well of that man's life, the fire began to die down, and eventually he walked away from it all. He gave up any idea that God had called him to ministry. He wanted to make a difference, so even though he was no longer in seminary and had no desire to be a part of ministry, he felt most alive when he was helping other people. So he decided he would start a social service agency right here in Oklahoma City. And he did, and it became very successful, meeting the needs of all kinds of people across not only Oklahoma City, but our entire state. 
But even with that success, he still felt empty. The well was so dry. He told me that eventually he found himself in the floor in his living room, just weeping, a grown man weeping, trying to come up with one reason why he should continue to live. And it was at that point that he cried out to the God that he had tried so hard not to believe in. And he said, God, I don't know if you're there, but if you are there, I desperately need you. He told me that his living room was so flooded by the presence of the Lord, something he had never experienced in his whole life. So he continued to weep, but the tears were different. Now they were not tears of emptiness and sorrow, they were tears of joy. The Lord was present with him. The Lord gave him an understanding that even in those troubling times that he was in, he was not a man without purpose. God was present with him. Even during those times that he had walked away from God, when he had said, I no longer believe in God anymore, God still was present with him. The man I've been telling you about is not some fictional character I dreamed up for a sermon. He's a guy that I met many years ago. Um, we were involved with Shiloh Summer Camp together when he told me his story. He's a man I've grown to respect and appreciate. He experienced the dryness of the desert, but he also knew the presence of the Lord. And that, my friend, I don't think your story is that much different from my friend's. I don't think our stories are that much different. Maybe you haven't walked away from your faith. Maybe you haven't lost your faith. But each of us has experienced those desert, dry times of life when we felt like we couldn't even pull ourselves up off the floor. Those times when our soul has been dry and our eyes have been wet with tears of sorrow and emptiness. Well, what do you do? If you find yourself dragging through the desert, what do you do? Is there any hope of having your soul restored? Is there any hope of experiencing the living waters that Jesus described to the woman at the well? Is there any hope of knowing those living waters in your own life? Maybe you've come here today and you're in a desert right now. You don't even know why you're here this morning. You were hoping you could hear something that would give you hope. You've lost hope, and you're wondering if God even cares. And if He does, why does He seem so distant? And why has He seemed so distant for so long? Well, I've got good news for you today. If you find yourself in that position, there is hope. I've experienced that hope. The hope that God can bring forth streams of water, living streams of water in the desert dry times of our life. But before we try and understand how we can experience those living waters, I want us to understand some of the reasons why our well runs dry. How we find ourselves in those desert times of life. I can't give you an exhaustive list, but we can sure take a list at several of the reasons over the next few minutes. First, depression can drain our soul and leave us dry. The great prophet Elijah he could speak so clearly in a way that you could understand this morning of the draining effects of depression. Elijah became so depressed that he sat down under a broom tree and he said, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. And you need to know, it wasn't as if Elijah's entire career had been one of depression and, and despair. No, matter of fact, he had just hit a home run. 
as he had been used by God to show the people that the false idols that they had been serving, they were really no gods at all. After a powerful demonstration of God's power exhibited through Elijah's life, the people who had been worshiping those false gods, they turned together as one and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And shortly after that mountaintop experience, Elijah fell into this deep, dark place. If you look at 1 Kings 19 with me, let's read verses 1 through 5 together. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there while he himself went another day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Depression can come on in an instant. Or it can grow and build over days or weeks or months or years. But either way, depression will dry up the well of your soul and leave you despondent. Depression can be brought about by many and various experiences or feelings in life. The death of a loved one. Divorce, disease, disappointment, broken relationships, all of these and more can bring on depression. And each of them will drain us and leave us feeling dry and hollow in life, looking for reasons to continue on. Second, sin will cause the well of our life to dry up. It's not hard for us to make the connection between depression and the weariness we feel when our souls run dry. But sin, sin, how could sin cause us to become dry and weary? I mean, especially in our society, in America, where we no longer believe in sin anymore. I had a person tell me just a few weeks ago they didn't believe in sin. I said, really? That's interesting. What do you call the despicable, devilish deeds that rob people of life and meaning and dehumanize folks? What do you call that? He didn't have much of an answer. David can tell us about the reality of sin's draining power on the human soul. After David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, he had her husband Uriah killed to try and cover everything up. And then David went on about his business like nothing had ever even happened. He couldn't. He tried to go on about his business, but he couldn't. He couldn't explain it, but his energy was sapped. He didn't know what was happening to him. He had handled everything so that nobody would know the difference. But he did. David couldn't figure it out. Every night when he laid down to go to sleep, shame and guilt were his bed partners. He couldn't get the image of Bathsheba's husband out of his mind. His strength was being drained. His spirit was running dry. And his mind would not, it could not, find rest. Later, after David had been found out, 
He wrote about his experience in Psalm 51. Listen to this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Did you catch that line of David's? My sin is always before me. If you've ever done something, failed to have done something, said something or failed to say something that you know was outside of God's desire for your life, then you know what David's talking about. I know what David's talking about. My sin is always before me. Isn't it amazing? I mean, seriously. Some days, I have this one special place at my house to leave my keys and my wallet. Because if I don't leave them in that special place... I can't find them. But do you know what I so easily find? Devilish deeds that I did years and years ago. I would love to wipe the hard drive of my my mind clean, but my sin is always before me. There's one greater than my sin, and that gives me hope. Because the Bible says Jesus died so that my sin could be forgiven. The Bible says that Jesus, Raleigh and I were talking about this. Trey and I prayed for Raleigh before he came out to be baptized. And I said, Raleigh, isn't it amazing? The Bible says that God takes our sin and he casts it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to bring it up and to haunt you again. No wonder that's good news. We can try to get it out of our mind. We can try and work it out of our system. But you can't. Only Christ can remove that from you and me. Third, another thing that dries up our soul is unmet expectations. They can take our toll on us and drain our soul. Have you ever prepared yourself for a new venture that held great promise? Or so you thought. Maybe it was getting ready for your first date or showing up for your first day at a brand new job. Maybe it was welcoming a new child into your home. This is going to be so fun. Or entering a new school for the first time or volunteering in a new ministry that you've been really looking forward to being a part of. All of these things and more can cause us to become so excited and enthused about the prospects of finally finding that thing or that someone that will bring us the happiness and the contentment that we've been looking for our whole lives. Without a doubt, every single time. We get ourselves all geared up and excited about something new, and it is always less once the new wears off. Have you noticed that? It is always less once the new wears off. It doesn't matter what it is. If you place too high of an expectation on it, then it will never meet your expectation. Sometimes, even in our relationship with God, We have unmet expectations, and we find our well running dry. The Bible teaches us that God is unchangeable. 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. And yet, our understanding of God, our expectations of Him, and our relationship with Him, it changes like the shifting winds. If when I become a follower of Jesus, I expect God to make everything in my life perfect, then I am in for a long run with disappointment. If when I give my life to Christ, I expect God to fix all of my foul-ups and for there to be no residual trouble or consequences, then I am in for a long run on disappointment. And if when I make the decision to become a follower of Jesus, I expect that all of the pain and sorrow of my life will suddenly dissipate and be no more, then folks, I am going to be disappointed with God. We who have been disappointed with God are in good company because there was a time in the prophet Jeremiah's life when he became so disappointed with God. God called Jeremiah to be his man. God called Jeremiah to preach his word and God invited Jeremiah to walk with him in intimacy day after day after day. What a gift, what a blessing. And yet God and Jeremiah must have been on two different wavelengths. We can't really be sure what Jeremiah expected out of that deal when God called him, but we do know that there came a time in Jeremiah's life, in his relationship with God, when Jeremiah was so disappointed with God, he exploded on God. It's in Jeremiah 20. Listen to this. Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, his word is on my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah had gotten a raw deal, according to Jeremiah, when he signed on with God's crew. Jeremiah was stuck. He was stuck between a rock and a hard place because God's word burned in his bones, and yet his soul was so dried up. He had lost his excitement, his enthusiasm for sharing the word of God because every time he opened his mouth and shared the word of God, all it brought him was reproach and scorn. They wanted to kill him. Maybe you felt the same way. You know the Lord. You've tasted of his grace and mercy. And yet at this point in your life, this trouble, this sorrow has become so prolonged, you wonder, God, where are you? Do you even care? Your feelings are draining your well, and you know it. Fourth, last of all, familiarity and complacency can drain the well of our soul. Jesus spoke to the church in Ephesus. Listen to these words. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles, but they are not, and you found them false. 
You have persevered. You have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent, turn around, and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come to you and I'll remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You see, the problem of the believers in Ephesus is the problem of many of us who think that doing things for God is equivalent to experiencing God. We can continue running on empty. You can be busy doing all kinds of things for God and become so familiar with God that you lose your connection. I didn't say your salvation. I said your connection. You can attend church every single time the doors are open. You can do Bible studies every morning of the week. You can sing in the choir. You can pray at the Lord's table. You can lead a youth group and still suffer from an empty soul. Nobody else may have a clue what's going on with you, but you know deep inside that you are as dry as the Sahara. Busyness can rob us of the life-giving waters of Jesus that are meant to continually replenish our souls. This past uh, Friday, Connie and I went with Annie and Niels to the zoo. Uh, they've been staying with us all week long while Niels was on a business trip. So we went to the zoo Friday morning, and then after seeing all the animals on Friday afternoon, I went to the health food store. I went to the rail yard pie company in Edmond. <clears throat> That's my kind of health food store. I walked in, and there was a guy who said, Mike Hayes. And I looked, and I hadn't seen him in probably 20 years. We were old friends. We worked at Canacuck together. He had been involved in ministry, and I just lost touch with him. And he asked how I was doing, and then I asked how he was doing, and he said, well, my life just kind of fell apart, and I had to put it all back together again. I said, really? Tell me about that. So we talked. And boy, what a story it was. It was not a an implosion, an explosion that just happened. There was some kind of moral failure. It was nothing like that. It was this slow familiarity that turned into more and more work for the Lord and less and less experience of the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Until one day his wife said, something's got to give. And something did. And praise God, they're still together, and he's doing well now, but he just became too... I thought about this part of the sermon. You know, it's much like the relationship we share with somebody we love. Those of you that are married, you run a very real risk of becoming too familiar with your spouse. I remember when Kai and I first started dating, we were students in college, and there was nothing I wanted more than to be with her. 
When I wasn't with Connie, then I was talking about Connie, or I was thinking about Connie. We talked on the phone. We went on dates. Sometimes we would get together on campus and just sit and talk. Just being with her was enough. Isn't that sweet? And you know what's crazy? I do premarital counseling with couples. And I've told you this story before, but it's worth telling again. They'll walk into my office for the very first time we get together, and they literally move their chairs right next to one another. They can't stand to be six inches apart. That's a good thing. Well, Connie and I have been married 40 years now. 40 years. And our battle now is not to become too familiar with one another. I hope you understand what I mean by too familiar. If I assume that Connie will always be there, if I take her love for granted and I approach our conversations too casually, then we can easily lose touch with one another. I mean, I've got so many other things to do. Connie, we've been married a lot of years. She's very independent. She'll be fine on her own while I go, and I've got all these things to do for the Lord. As a matter of fact, there is a never-ending list of things to do for the Lord. But I can't become so familiar with Connie that we lose touch. Do you see where I'm going with this? That's exactly what we do with the Lord. The risk that Connie and I run is the risk that all of us who are followers of Jesus face in our relationship with God. The Ephesians are so busy doing for God, they got to take time, they forgot to take time to enjoy His presence. Sooner or later, that approach will drain us dry. We go on discussing and examining the many draining experiences of life, but it would serve us better to refocus right now and take a look at one thing. What's one thing we can do? When we find ourselves drying up, our relationship with the Lord becoming stale and stagnant because problems and trials and troubles and tears capture our heart. Well, here's the thing I want to give to you. You don't even need to write it down. You'll remember this. We can cry out to the Lord. And I don't mean that figuratively. That's not a metaphor. Those are literal. We can cry out to the Lord. When the well runs dry and we feel like our soul is empty, our hands hang limp, our whole life is downcast, we have no energy whatsoever, we can cry out to the Lord. When David, when David realized the depth of his sin and the weariness of his soul and his need for God, he wrote in Psalm 51, the psalm that we started reading earlier. Let's jump down to verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from my blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. 
the sacrifices of God are what? Oh, you got to do better than that. The sacrifices of God are and a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will never despise. What an encouragement to you and me. In Psalm 88, the psalmist cries out to God in the midst of his weariness. Listen to this and see if you can relate. O oh Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. Stop. How often does he cry out to the Lord? O oh Lord, the God who saves me, at 1040 on Sunday morning, I cry out before you. Is that what he says? Day and night, may my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry, for my soul is so full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave who you remember no more, who were cut off from your care. Lord, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You overwhelm me with all of your waves, Selah. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. And you know, it's not just those in biblical days who have confessed the dryness and the weariness of their souls to God. <clears throat> when I first became a follower of Jesus in college, uh, a buddy of mine gave me some Christian music. This is like <clears throat> 1980, early 1980s, okay? A friend of mine gave me some Christian music. That was not the music I listened to in high school. And that Christian music that my friend gave me, it was horrible. It was, you couldn't even listen to it. It was like VBS songs for a college kid, okay? And then there was this guy who... Um, he was a hippie. Uh, like, if you've seen the movie The Jesus Revolution, he lived during that time. And he was a, a great musician and singer. And then the Lord turned his life upside down, and his name was Keith Green. And Keith began to make music for the Lord, and Keith was on fire for the Lord. The, his music company, he drove them nuts because Keith literally wanted to live out the Bible. And so Keith said, hey, if you can't afford my cassette, just go into Mardell's and tell them I said to give you one. He did that. I'll pick up the tab. Tell them you don't have the money. And man, Keith Green was an inspiration. But Keith Green even experienced times like this. And he wrote this song that still ministers to me today. It's called My Eyes Are Dry. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, and my prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be, 
alive to you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Lord, soften it up with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Lord, wash me anew in the wine of your blood. A man sitting in his living room floor, trying to come up with a reason to live, cries out to God, and God answered him and gave him that reason. A prophet named Jeremiah, a prophet named Elijah, a hippie whose Jesus changed his life, they all cried out to God. And maybe there's somebody here this morning, you need to cry out to God. He will answer you. I promise he will. And if you don't know him, let me tell you, that's the first step. The first step is to say, Lord, I need you. Would you be my Savior? The answer to that's always yes, He will. He died for you. He gave His life for you so that you might experience intimacy with Him in this life. It's not a pie in the sky and a sweet by and by religion. This is a relationship with Jesus who is alive. If you're not a Christian and you want to know Him, come forward and give me your hand as you give Him your heart. And this morning, if you're in a desert and you need prayer, our elders are here. They are going to come forward to be available for you. Folks, that is why God has put you in a church family. So that we can walk with one another when we go through the deserts of life. When the tears won't stop flowing, God has placed men and women in your life, brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for you. Please come if you're in need of prayer. Please come. Thanks for listening today. You can watch past sermons on our YouTube channel at Britain Church. We would love to see you on Sunday morning for one of our services at 8.30 or 10.40. Have a great week.